Hello everyone, my guest today is Zach Morrison. He's the CEO of Tenuity, one of North America's largest independent digital marketing agencies, managing over 1.5 billion in media spend across Google, Facebook, Amazon, and more. Having recently steered the agency through three major acquisitions and a rebrand, Zach provides himself on nurturing a people-focused culture that treats employees like owners. Tenuity is consistently recognized through accolades such as Employer of the Year, as well as Zach recently receiving the Top Boss of the Year award from DigiDay. So first of all, Zach, welcome to the show. Yes, thank you. Appreciate you having me on the uh, great introduction. Yeah, it's great to have you, man. So tell us a little bit more about who you are and how you got to where you are today. Uh, so as you mentioned, CEO of Tenuity, um, largest independent agency uh, across the triathlete, as you mentioned. Uh, but I think the, the story begins many, many years ago, 15 years ago, uh, while I was uh, a college student and trying to figure out where my entrepreneurial venture would go. And during that time, I, you know, I knew that that was where I wanted to go as you know, some entrepreneurial way, but I didn't have honestly the idea and I didn't know exactly what I wanted to focus on. So I took uh, corporate internships at banks and things like that as I, uh, as I started to think of you know, different ideas that I wanted to pursue. Uh, at that time, through a, through a friend, I met a gentleman named Ben Kirshner who was the first person to ever sell coffee on the internet. So I will call him the ultimate entrepreneur. Uh, and Ben uh, got, this is in the late nineties. Uh, and then early two thousands, he realized the explosion of what was going to happen with Google and, and search marketing. Uh, so while I am not the original ultimate entrepreneur of the original founding company it was called Elite SEM. We rebranded to Tenuity. I don't know if you call myself the secondpreneur or whatever it was, but I joined him 15 years ago um, because I believed in the vision of starting a digital marketing agency. That so was how, was, how big on, was the company back then, just for context, when you joined? Uh, two people. Okay, okay, so you were the second person. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> yeah, there was another, my, my colleague brought me in. So there was Ben, my colleague who brought me uh, in, and then me and one other person. So we kind of, all four of us kind of started with Ben's idea. And then, um, you know, those gentlemen aren't necessarily are, aren't at the company now. And Ben and I kind of took it to where it is today. Understood. Very cool. So give us a little bit more about the background of the process. I mean, starting with two people now, how many people are you now? 700, 800? A little, about six, a little over 650 people. 650. Uh, yeah, almost all in the U.S. Uh, so what was the process? Well, I think we only have 30 minutes, so I don't know if I have the, we have the enough time to go what, what, the entire what, portion, what, but what were your top resources along the way? I mean, you know, building that as your first company being 20, 22 years old. I mean, that's kind of crazy. What were your resources? Yeah. Where do you get the knowledge from? So I think first and foremost, our best source of knowledge was our naiveness, right? We had never really worked at a big agency. We had never found, we had never done any of that before. So I think we really just went into it with this mindset of, you know, uh, culture of ownership, which was, there's one, this great idea of a digital marketing agency and, and that nobody was focused on just Google advertising at the time as like an mm -hmm. agency where very few companies were. So we had that idea, but then agencies had a really bad rap. So we're like, wait, this is really hard. Let's just do it the opposite as every other agency has ever done it. Let's focus on people. Every, every agency in the world says, we put our clients first. We don't say that. We say we put our people first, they'll put the clients first. So that's really how we started. And then from there, it was all about coaches and colleagues. We were not shy to 
get, you know, utilize resources and a lot of coaches for different aspects of the business, whether it was fractional CFOs, fractional CMOs, whether it was going to, you know, on the entrepreneur organization, EOs, you know, courses at MIT uh, or Harvard, we did everything because we knew we had a ton to learn about business, but we also kept in mind, we liked our naiveness that we wanted to do it a different way. Mm -hmm. Understood. And now what, what do you do on a, on a daily basis or on a weekly basis to educate yourself? You're reading a lot of books, listening to podcasts. What is it? Mentors? Uh, so, uh, so I read, a, I, I, at this point in time, I, I spent, I read a lot of Harvard case studies. I've just found that, um, the unique challenges that I'm faced with really reading experiences that are over time that aren't necessarily just today, but from the eighties all the way to today, um, is the most fascinating thing for me. So I read a lot of Harvard business review articles, a lot of Harvard business review case studies. Um, I'm also a firm believer, uh, that you can't have one mentor, uh, and you mm -hmm. definitely can't have one mentor. And so I have this, uh, this list here. I was going to, so this is actually my mentor list. And for, I know well, the background's kind of messing with it, but <laughs> there, you know, this was actually written three or four how, years ago. How many ago. people? 59 people on this list. Holy shit. And the reason why is I was encouraged. So one of my original mentors was a gentleman named Cameron Harold. He was the uh, COO of 1-800-GOT-JUNK and got them to grow from two to 10,000 people. Uh, Cameron started an organization called the COO Alliance that I was the you know, kind of founding idea member for that. And he was my original mentor, but he was kind of my mentor about being a COO, like what the integrator, what the operator needs. But I realized... And through him too, that you need mentors for every different area. So on this list, I have um, everywhere from people that I would go to about finance, people that I would go to about entrepreneurship, people that I would go to about HR, process, you know, Google, okay. Facebook, I, MA, I, so on, I, so I on and so this, forth. I think this is really interesting for everyone listening. How do you manage these 59 people? Like, do you be, are you in contact with them on a monthly basis, yearly basis? How did it work? How does it work? So the most important part is you create the list and you keep building it. The set, you know, now, how do I keep up with it? The way I keep up with it is you, I, I look at the list for who I need value from. And then I figure out how I can provide them value. So mm -hmm. there's an example of, you know, uh, a person on the list who actually called me the other day to ask for career advice. She's on my mentor list. And they called me for career advice. And the reason why they did is because they've been providing me value for so long. They said, hey, I think now he can yeah. provide me value. So it's just kind of keeping in touch, you know, and to be frank, as this, uh, I'll give another example. So we're living in the COVID-19 world and we're not going to go into a lot of that. But the first thing I did when COVID-19 happened is I went to my list and I looked for who the people that I believe were in CEO and CFO positions during the last major Smart. crisis, that here was the key point that at that time they worked for a 500 person company because mm -hmm. it was very different to be the CEO of a company of a 10 person company in a crisis and a 500 or 600 person in a crisis. So yeah. that's, that's the way I use it. Man, that's smart. That's smart. I like it. I'm actually, I'm going to write that down right now and 
implementing that into, so into my name. life. <laughs> yeah. So there's name in one column and then the other column is their strength. Mm -hmm. What is your, what is the strength that they have? Uh, and I think the most important part with that you can uh, get, you know, I don't know, I want to say get in trouble with this list, but is that if you don't think about how you can provide value to some of these people just randomly, because then it's kind of that value exchange. Yeah. Yeah. No, but that's a really good point. And I think all of the listeners can, can take something from that too. So like, what do you think is your, your skill or your most unique uh, trait that has helped you to, to get there where you are today? I, um, or maybe you have know, a couple unique, of, yeah, I mean, unique is kind of one of a kind, I would say for a CEO of a 600 person company, um, I would say that probably the one of what I, my unique character trait there is kind of this approachability and personal ability to the employees. Um, I think that, and, and because of how transparent I am and, Uh, available I am by all by doing those things while also being approachable, I think gives my company and my my team and the people at Tenuity a lot of confidence um, in me um, and knowing that they can come to me and we can work together through problems. Um, so I think that person, you know, that personability approachability kind of combined into one is now, I think earlier in my career, um, it was this combination of confidence and self-awareness So I was very confident in the things that I had strengths in. Um, and I was very self-aware that I sucked at a lot of stuff. <laughs> and I didn't really, to be frank, there's a lot of talk out there of like work on your weaknesses. To be frank, I didn't really work on my weaknesses that much. Now you have three things. You have things that you're great at, things that you're in the middle and things that you're like your weaknesses. I think the, I don't work very much in the weaknesses. I work on the things in the middle that I need to be great at. Uh, but there are like things that. that I don't need to be great at that I can substitute with other people. And I'll give you the example I give all the time. I'm not a great writer. And here's the trick. I don't enjoy writing either. I actually hate it, <laughs> but I love speaking. So am I going to go out and do a podcast all the time? Yeah. Anybody who wants to do a podcast, I'm here. Let's do it. Somebody wants to write me to write like an article for them. I'm going to get a ghostwriter. Right. And I have people on my staff that I'll sit there and talk to. They'll transcribe and they'll write it for me because It's not a strength mind. Now, when I was younger, I could have spent a lot, and my mother was an English teacher, so I could have spent a lot of time on writing. And I think the society tells you that, but I realized I, it, it wasn't that I was just not good at it. It was yeah. I didn't enjoy it. So I think it was that I, I realized early on things that you're not good at and you don't enjoy, don't spend a lot of time on them. Find ways to over-index in other places. Yeah, I like that. I think that's really good advice. And everyone can or should implement that right now what are what are because you have you know built up the company from yeah zero to 650 now um what are some principles that you apply to the business or to the company or do you have any principles that you apply yeah i mean i mentioned it before and you mentioned it in my opening culture of ownership is my big thing so i think the important part in understanding ben started this company but then when the, yeah. the founding members like i like me joined I think the thing that we loved the most and the thing that it was the most beneficial to the business was this concept that we we're all owners. We all had equity. We all had the same benefits as Ben, all these things. And the reason, and we, we realized that early on that to be frank, I, like I mentioned, I had this entrepreneurial bug. I always had different things going on and I probably would have left very early on if there wasn't this, what we call entrepreneurship. 
Mm. And or another way of saying it is culture of ownership. So that is first of all, every employee that will ever work for me in my entire career, I will always have culture of ownership. And what that means is that in some way, shape or form, they're an owner of the company, whether that's in their merit-based compensation, whether that's in equity, whether that's in full transparency of the organization, because it really actually drives alignment and people having that information and feeling that power of being part of the company makes them want to work harder, makes them want to stay longer, and makes them want to do great work. Uh, how, for, how do you decide money. who gets what? How do you decide this guy's going to get equity or this guy's going to get this? How do you decide, decide that? So most, almost every single thing, every single thing that we do is across the board. Every employee, the first employee to the last, right? The most senior the most junior now. So everybody gets everything, the same, the same benefits. We don't have like specific benefits or specific mm, things okay. for executives or not, but the, it's a matter of degree. Right. And that's where the word meritocracy comes in, which is another one of our favorite words. Have, have you now. read uh, principles from Ray Dalio? Um, so I'm a big fan of the cliff notes or, so I've, uh, I've, read, okay, okay. I've done a lot of skimming of, of these it. books, but, but our whole thing is meritocracy. The value that you put in is the value that you, you know, is the value that you take home. So it doesn't necessarily mean that somebody who has been here 10 years and somebody who's been here two years, that one's going to have more equity than the other. It all, all the case, you know, your tenure will matter, but also The, the, the impact of your role, the things you've done in the past, the things you're signing up to do, all of those things go into it. So it's all about merit. It's not, it's not just about one specific thing, but they're all taken into account. Understood. Okay, that's, I, I love that. I, that sounds interesting. Um, where do you think, because you know, you've been now in the industry for 15 years, maybe, maybe even a, a bit longer, where do you see the industry go in the next five years and then in the next 30 years? Wow. So in, you know, we're really in the digital media, digital marketing and e-commerce space. So where do I see it going in the next five years? Well, I think it's catapulting as we're seeing right now with everybody sheltering in place and, and staying at home. I mean, e-commerce is exploding even more than it ever was. Uh, you know, the last crisis, you know, I went through was in 2008 with the financial crisis. And what we, what we saw during that time was the things that were weak, the things that were overvalued or overpriced at that time, it was print media, linear television, these things, they, they, they kind of leveled off to what was an acceptable level of, the, of usage versus digital media, like Google and other advertising skyrocketed because they were undervalued. Mm -hmm. And I think what's ha what people are realizing and how we relate that today is I think what people are realizing today is, well, wow, I could just get my groceries delivered. Wow, I really could get every single thing delivered that I possibly need. So I think the, I, I actually believe even in the US where e-commerce is huge, it, you know, it's undervalued. It is, it is a, the fact that some of our clients still do 80% of their business in stores <laughs> is is mind-boggling to me so i think what in the next five years just like in 2008 we saw the shift away from traditional advertising to digital at a rocket ship i think we're going to see the same thing i i think once you know when we're through this and 
you know, we get into our new normal, whatever that may be. I know for sure that the new normal will start to tip the balance in the next five years um, away, you know, even more so to e-commerce and to digital. Uh, so I think you, know, you have that now. 30, 30 years, you're really testing my, uh, my forward thinking. Um, that's really hard for me. I would say that I, 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 nothing in the world is really new, right? Mm-hmm. Google is like the classifieds from the newspaper, right? Like, like if you look at every single, so things just get reinvented and done in a better way. So I always think in our, it, it, as I relate to my industry of commerce and digital media, they'll always be everything that we have. They'll just be reinvented. In a different way. So, yeah. So I think the, this, in 30 years, the paradigm will completely shift where businesses will be doing the 90 some percent online and we'll be looking at offline as the small portion, but the experience centers, right? I think those are, the you know, offline is going to be more about, you know, human interaction um, with brands and, and, and humans doing things that then while they interact with brands and then they go online to buy them versus now people go online to interact with people and things and then they go maybe go offline and buy them. So I think, you, you know, if I have to bet anything, I would say the complete inverse of what's happening. Today yeah. I like that view. I like the view. Um, last question before we dive into the Fantastic Four. Which role does personal branding play in the industry? So I think there is... I break it down in personal branding to two things. There's personal brand and then there's personal branding, right? Which is the act behind it. And I think any CEO that, or, or leader that doesn't develop a personal brand is mistaken. And to be frank, that was one thing that it took me a while to understand. I never wanted the limelight. I thought creating a personal brand was taking away from the work that my employees were doing that was being egotistical. And it took me a while to realize, you know, that personal brand is what actually gives your clients comfort that you're a thought leader, that gives your employees comfort that you are approachable, that you are transparent. So I think my personal brand is incredibly important. Now, personal branding, the matter in which you do it. So for me, I rank first and foremost, like my personal branding efforts in three, in three places. One, my most impersonal personal branding effort is with my employees. They need to know who I am, what I'm all about, my values, you know, my actions, what's going on, mm-hmm. all of those things. Number two is with my clients. They need to understand what's going on with our business, what's going on in our industry, what's going on in my mind and how I can help them. And then third, which is the most, uh, typical that's talked about in personal branding is your is the public facing of you so i put that third only because of where my business is at today if i was starting a business probably from scratch today or if it was a much smaller business i might start that in inverse where i would try to develop a public persona right like gary vaynerchuk who has done um who i know him from way back when but he kind of went a little bit the inverse way. He used his personal brand to then build a yeah. client base, to then build an employee base. Just the personal branding world has skyrocketed when our business has grown to a pretty substantial size. So that's why I take the inverse approach to personal branding. Love that. Thanks. Thanks for the answer. Okay, let's jump into the fantastic four. Question number one, is there a CEO that you're following or studying right now? So uh, the answer is actually no. 
And mm-hmm. my and I actually spoke with uh, Ben, who's the chairman of the board, and uh, a couple of other mentors recently. And I said, I need a new mentor. I need a new coach. So I'm actually, so for listeners out there, if you've been the CEO of a company of more than a thousand people, <laughs> I'd love to talk to you. I'm looking for somebody that's just done a much bigger job than I have before. I don't, I don't have that person right now. So yeah, I got to find that person. Love that. Okay. Next question. Do you have any routines that you strictly follow on a day-to-day basis? Uh, yes. <laughs> Which? So now it's, so I travel a lot normally for work. Um, and I also, I try to only take morning flights. I don't like taking night flights because I have established in a routine where every evening um, I go through email and articles and publications. I download into PDFs into my, onto my iPad. Um, and then on the way to the airport, right. When I first wake up in the morning, I start with, uh, the wall street journal. So find, you know, kind of true, uh, news, not biased mm-hmm. news. And then as soon as I get onto the plane, I don't connect to the Wi-Fi um, until I finish my reading list for the day. So I go through, uh, that entire reading list before I connect to, uh, to the Wi-Fi. Now, when I'm not traveling, it's a little bit different from home with my kids. So, uh, that, that, that schedule actually ends up getting flipped inversely where I do all of my reading at night. How often do you do sports every week? Play sports or do like, sports, sports? like any kind of, no, not like do sports, like gym or whatever you do golf. I don't know. I'm sorry. Say it again. How, how, how many times do you do sports uh, in a week? Like be active. Uh, so frankly, before uh, COVID, uh, I, kept, I keep a very, very strict diet um, because of traveling. Um, and, you know, just my health got out of, you know, a little out of control with all of that. <laughs> and now with COVID, then I'm home and I'm not traveling and it's less busy. Um, I'm now, you know, doing the Peloton about, you know, three or four times a week. Understood. Okay. Second last question. What's your favorite social media platform for business and what do you specifically use it for? Uh, so I'm, I'm a Twitter guy. I love, you know, uh, I like LinkedIn, um, really do love it, but like, there's a, there's an aspect of Twitter that I, that I get, I still get the, the business content that I find on LinkedIn, but then you also get the personal anecdotes of the people that are talking business that I think give a little bit more context mm-hmm. to who they are. Like the example being is I might have a colleague or a, a journalist that I follow that posts an article, but then they post something personally. And then it allows me to understand a little bit more about their psyche when they're, you know, writing about this, you know, so Twitter is, 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 uh, is my number one. And it's, and, you know, look for me, uh, you know, LinkedIn, it's bigger content for me. I'm a fast, short blip type content type guy. Understood. Okay. Last question, Zach, what do you wish you would have started when you were 20 years old? Um, Facebook, Instagram, I guess. I don't know. I mean, when I was 20, I was, I was, I was a search marketer, right? That's, we started Tenuity, which was called Elite SEM at the time when I was 20. Um, so that's back in uh, 2000, the early 2000. So Facebook yeah. was just starting. starting out. So uh, or Amazon, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'd pick one of the two. I mean, technically when I was 20, both those companies were just getting started. So yeah, I would start one yeah. of those. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much for your insights, Zach. Thank you. Appreciate you having me.